turning tonight to Luke chapter 13, the Gospel of Luke chapter 13, and we have the reading from verse 1 down to verse number 9. Luke chapter 13, to verse number 1 through to verse number 9. So let us open our Bibles and let us read the Word of God as we find it in this passage. It is, as we will see tonight, a most solemn passage of the Word of God, and the Lord has laid it upon my heart to speak to you from the latter part of it, and we pray that He will take His Word and use it for His glory. So let's hear the Word of God. Luke 13, verse number 1. There were present at that season some that told Him of the Galileans, whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And Jesus answering said unto them, Suppose ye that these Galileans were sinners above all the Galileans, because they suffered such things. I tell you, nay, but except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. Or those eighteen, upon whom the tower in Siloam fell, and slew them, think ye that they were sinners above all men? that dwelt in Jerusalem. I tell you, nay, but except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. He spake also this parable. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came and sought fruit thereon, and found none. Then said he unto the dresser of his vineyard, Behold, these three years I come seeking fruit, on this fig tree, and find none, cut it down. Why cumbereth it the ground? And the answering said unto him, Lord, let it alone this year also, till I shall dig about it, and dung it. And if it bear fruit, well, and if not, then after that thou shalt cut it down. And we know that God will bless the reading of His Word to all of our hearts. Now, could we bow in prayer again? Let's just unite our hearts together. We need the Lord's help. We need His presence and power in this meeting, and therefore let us look to Him and let us call upon Him as we wait here at His feet tonight. May the Lord come very near. Heavenly Father, we come afresh to Thee in the name of Thy Son, our Savior. We pray for the help of God as we now come around the book. We thank Thee for the Scriptures. We thank Thee for the desire in the hearts of men and women and young people and little ones to gather together again. We bless the Lord for those online who are tuning in and hearing the Word of God. And Lord, we cry to Thee just now for help from heaven. I confess my need of Thee, my powerlessness without Thee. O Lord, grant us help, grant us blessing and Thy presence and Thine anointing by the Holy Spirit. O Lord, come and lift this meeting away from the mere natural human level. Bring it into the heavenly places. Grant us that gracious power that the Holy Spirit brings as He visits, as He moves, as He comes down. And may there be a lasting work done. Let us know every heart. Let us know those in this meeting who are yet in their sin, who have been in that state from the moment of conception in the mother's womb, and now, Lord, life finds them without the Savior still. 
O God and Father, arrest them tonight. May conviction of sin seize their being. May they feel themselves dangling over the jaws of hell. Lord, may they realize the solemnity of this hour and the solemnity of Thy Word. O Lord, open up the mind. Take away every obstacle, every form of blindness and unbelief. And come this night and move, we pray. Bring souls to the new birth. Work in power and give grace, we pray. Help me cleanse my heart in Jesus' blood. Fill me with Thy Spirit. And move among us now, we pray. We ask all of this for Christ's sake and for God's eternal glory. Amen and amen. Now, the Scriptures I've read with you this evening here in Luke 13 are really in two separate parts, and yet at the same time there's a link between them as we will see as we consider what lies before us. The second section about the parable of the fig tree reminds us that very frequently in the Word of God, the Lord uses the analogy of trees when He speaks of the spiritual state of men, whether saved or unsaved. For example, in the first Psalm, we find that the godly man is likened to a tree that is planted by the rivers of water. In the 92nd Psalm, the righteous are said to flourish like the palm tree and to grow like a cedar in Lebanon. And then there are other scriptures, such as this parable, that employ the figure of the tree in describing the unconverted, and especially sinners in an unconverted state who are exceedingly familiar and fully acquainted with the privileges of the gospel. The tree in view in this parable is, as you have noticed, the fig tree. It's actually striking in the Word of God that the Lord employs the fig tree when He sets out to reveal a spiritual state that is marked by those who displease the Lord, those who, whose lives are displeasing to Him. And the employment of the fig tree here in this parable is really in keeping with that. The very first time that a fig tree is mentioned or figs are mentioned is over there in the book of Genesis chapter 3, and many of you will know the passage, the early history of man, the events of the Garden of Eden. And there our first parents took the leaves of the fig tree as a means of covering themselves because of their sudden perception of their fallen and their sinful condition before a holy God that was demonstrated by their awareness of their nakedness. You see, their souls, they discovered, were naked and bare before God. And God saw them, and God scrutinized them, and God came to them to speak to them about their sin and their disobedience. And therefore, they sought to cover themselves up as a kind of a gesture of knowing that they were naked and bare, spiritually speaking, before the mind and the gaze of Almighty God. The emphasis on the fig leaf covering in Genesis 3 is very pronounced, and therefore it is clearly significant of man in a spiritual state that is completely out 
of the will of God. What took place in Eden regarding the fig tree and the fig tree covering is therefore setting a pattern that is followed through in the Word of God in keeping with this view of man as symbolized by the fig tree and its leaves. We find a similar situation addressed in Mark chapter 11. Once again, we read of the fig tree. Once again, we discover that its leaves are mentioned. And we find it being cursed by Almighty God in the person of our Lord Jesus Christ. As the context shows in Mark 11, the fig tree represents Israel's spiritual state, a, spirit, a state of decadence and wickedness before Almighty God. And the cursing of the fig tree was a warning of the judgment that the Lord was going to bring upon Israel for her sin. And therefore, very similar is the picture here in Luke chapter 13, where it's revealed that the fig tree represents sinners, whether Jew or Gentile, but certainly here in the context, it represents sinners from the Jewish nation who are living in a spiritual state that is far from being pleasing to Almighty Lord. So it's very clear that the fig tree in this parable is used by the Lord to bring our attention to a portrayal of the sinful state of wicked and impenitent sinners. The thrust of the imagery in this parable is also designed to reveal that the spiritual state of sinful man is infallibly perceived by the Lord and without any hesitation by the Lord. What sinners are in the sight of God is fully known by our God. Moreover, the parable emphasizes that the divine knowledge of God concerning sinners intensifies year by year. In verse number 7, we have these words, These three years I come seeking fruit on this fig tree and find none. And coupled with that, that detail in verse 7, we have the words in verse number 8, this year also, just those three words, this year also, here is another year. Here's a fourth year, in other words, and it is, you might say, a new year. Three years have gone by, and now the fourth year has come, and there's still no fruit on this fig tree. There are nothing but leaves. This is very sobering. This is very solemn. Because, you see, sinners do treat the turn of the year as a time not for seeking after God, not for solemn thoughts about the soul or about coming to know the Lord Jesus Christ, but they treat the turning of the year as a time for merriment and as a time for fleshly entertainment and the pursuit of their wickedness openly and without any shame, without any embarrassment. That's how they treat the turn of the year. But at the closing of one year and the beginning of another year, such as where we are tonight, little do they know that they are scrutinized and they are appraised by the eye of divine omniscience. Oh, how serious 
how solemn, how terrible that is, my friend. Without Jesus Christ, we have come to another year, a number of years. It could be three, it could be 30, it could be whatever, have gone by, and we have come, I mean, as far as you're concerned, whatever your age might be, years have gone by, we have come to another year, and you need to understand that at the opening of this new year, your spiritual condition is not only known by the Lord, but your spiritual condition has grown increasingly worse as God sees you. And may the seriousness of your state and your spiritual condition before the Lord arrest your heart this evening. At the turn of another year, you have come before the Lord. His eye is on you. He is scrutinizing your life, your soul, all about you. He knows. He is fully aware of who you are, what your position is, what your standing is in His sight. But you see, He finds that the state of your soul is unchanged. It is just the same as it was this time a year ago. It's just the same as it was last week when we were still in 2022. And now, in terms of calendar development, we're now out of that year. And we're into this year. And we're before the Lord again. You're before the Lord once more in the house of God. And the Lord sees you and He views you and He scrutinizes you. And my dear friend, He finds you exactly the same, spiritually speaking, as you were. In 2022, last week, last night, before the old year fled away, the state of your soul remains the same. It's my objective tonight to have you awakened to this fact And furthermore, that on this first Sabbath evening of 2023, that your position before Almighty God, oh, will be altered forever. Do you understand what I'm saying? The way God finds you tonight is such that He finds you worse in terms of the amount of your sin and the enormity of your sin, and your impenitence, and your Christless state than you were last night, or last week, or the beginning of last year. It is, it is much worse, sinner. I know that you will see that. It does not mean that we've turned another year, and you are just the same in the sense that nothing is altered, it's all the same, you're on a plateau, nothing has become worse or more heinous in the sight of God. It's not that way at all. And you've got to see that. Young man, see that. Young lady, see that. Older person, little child, see that tonight. And come to terms with what God sees you to be as we look at this little parable. There are three thoughts to consider here from these words. First of all, expectation. Verse number 6 says, And he came and sought fruit thereon. And verse 7, Behold, these three years I come seeking fruit on this fig tree. And so the owner of the vineyard had inspected the fig tree, expecting 
to find fruit. And you see, we're taught thereby that the Lord has an expectation of men, of sinners. He looks for fruit that is in keeping with their soul's relationship with Him. You see, God has the right to look on men with expectation. This man in this parable is the owner of that vineyard. He's the planter of that fig tree. And therefore, he had every right to require fruit of it to begin with it. He had every right to inspect that fig tree or to come and view that fig tree. And he had every right to expect fruit on that fig tree. He is the owner and the planter of the fig tree. And so he has the right to come with expectation. And in that we are reminded that the Lord looks on men requiring from them that which every man owes to God. Submission to His will. Surrender to His law. Obedience to His gospel. It is that that the Lord is looking for as far as you are concerned. Do you hear, my friend, what I've just said? That the Lord is expecting from you that which is pleasing in His sight because you are His creature and He has given you that life that you're living and He has set you on this earth for a certain period of time and therefore He rightfully, as He feeds you and looks after you and gives you life and breath and all things, He rightly comes to expect of you a response that is in keeping with all that He has given you in His common grace and in His common benevolence as one made by Him and set by Him on this earth, just as that fig tree was set by that man, that owner of the vineyard, uh, set by Him right in that vineyard, God comes with this expectancy concerning you. And that is true for every individual in this gathering who is not a child of God. And there are some here tonight like that. And therefore, there is expectation here because God has the right to expect these matters from men. And therefore, specifically, it is the fruit of obedience to the gospel and repentance from sin that the Lord expects that's the response that the Lord looks for from the person who is privileged to hear the gospel, from the person who has the privilege of sitting under the means of grace. He has this expectancy of a true obedience given to what is presented, what is preached, what is brought to you, what is set before you, and that that, that response demonstrated by a true repentance from sin. You see, that's the setting. That's why I say to you tonight that this parable is an inseparable connection with the first part of this chapter, which, which records what happened in a couple of places when people suffered terrible deaths and those watching on were filled with their own self-righteousness and they were telling themselves, these people must be awful sinners to have suffered such deaths. And the Lord says to them, do you believe that they were sinners above all other sinners? He says, I tell you no, except you repent. 
you shall likewise perish. And against that background, he brings in this little parable because he wants to bring home to these people whom he is addressing and bring home to you tonight that the Lord looks for repentance from those who have the enjoyment of spiritual privileges. We read here in verse 6, again I just draw to your attention that a certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard. Now that fig tree was highly favored to be planted in the vineyard. What normally grows in a vineyard? Well, grape uh, bushes, whatever you call them, they grow in a vineyard, not fig trees. You see, the vineyard was a special plot or area in which the vines were planted. That's the word I was looking for, the vines that produce the grapes. And here's a man who brings his fig tree or this fig tree and he plants it in the vineyard because it's going to receive special attention. And therefore, it was not a thing incredible that the owner would come looking for fruit and do so year by year. In the Bible, you see, and here's the application of all this, in the Bible, the vineyard is often employed as a symbol of the visible church. I mean the gatherings of the people of God like we have tonight. We often pray, don't we? Lord, bless us here in this corner of your vineyard. Why do we do that? Because we know that the Bible takes the word vineyard and it's used by the Lord to describe His visible church, to describe the gatherings of the saints and those who join with them and all the privileges that go along with that situation. And therefore, when the vineyard of God comes together, the visible church assembles there are unconverted people present. There always are. And there are tonight in this meeting. Unconverted people. Young man, you're not saved. You're unconverted. You're without Christ. And perhaps you have been cradled, young man, young woman, in the privileges of the visible church all the different means that are afforded to young people growing up in the visible church, godly parents, Sunday school teaching, all that goes with the visible church's ministry because you have, you have enjoyed that. You've grown up with this and you're yet not saved. And there may be some here tonight and it's been a long, long time since you first tasted the privileges that are demonstrated and set forth whenever Christ's church comes together. You think about that tonight. The privilege of actually being here. And while none of us is perfect, and that includes me, yet we are giving you the truth and you're being prayed for. And you hear, you're hearing the singing of the songs of Zion and the preaching of the Word. And you're under the influence of godly people who are praying for you and pleading for you. Oh, what privileges those are. Because let me tell you something, there are multitudes who never taste them, never enjoy them, 
And therefore, great privileges mean that God is looking for clear responses from the privileges, the privileged heart that you have and the privileged soul that you possess. You know, over in Luke chapter 13, the Lord there speaks in a way that is remarkable. I want you to look at this with me because it brings out what I am saying about the Lord looking for fruit, expecting fruit from those who are exposed to the privileges and the blessings of the gospel, just as this fig tree was placed unusually in this vineyard. Not the, the real place for it, but it brings out the point that there are people who have blessings and privileges to which they're not even entitled. Yet God gives them. In Luke 13, sorry, Luke 10, verse number 13, the Lord says this, Luke 10, 13, Woe unto thee, Chorazin, woe unto thee, Bethsaida, for if the mighty works had been done in Tyre and Sidon, which have been done in you, they had a great while else, a great while ago repented, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. Do you see that verse, my friend? Do you understand what God is writing in that verse? It is striking in its solemnity. You're reading here of Tyre and Sidon and Chorazin and Bethsaida, and you're reading of the fact that the Lord said to the people of Chorazin and Bethsaida, if the mighty works that had been done in them by Jesus Christ Himself had been done in Sodom and or Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long before this. Now what is the Lord saying there? He's saying, I did not do the mighty works in Tyre and Sidon, which I have done among you. He's saying, I withheld those mighty works from Tyre and Sidon. But Chorazin and Bethsaida, I've done them among you, but you have not repented. Look at verse 14. It shall be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment than for you. What a statement that is. Yes, the people of Tyre and Sidon had perished and will come under the final judgment at the judgment day. But their hell, their judgment, will not be as intense, will not be as awful as the hell and the judgment of an individual or a group of individuals who have sat in Bellamina Free Presbyterian Church year in, year out, and have had all the privileges heaped upon you, and you're not yet saved, and there's no fruit in your life that shows you're a child of God. Rather, every evidence is that you're still lost. If you look there again in Luke chapter 13, at verse 15, notice these words, And thou, Capernaum, he turns his attention now to another city, Thou, Capernaum, which art exalted to heaven. Luke, sorry, Luke 10, verse 15. Thou, Capernaum, which art exalted to heaven, shall be thrust down to hell. What does it mean to be exalted to heaven? He's talking to people, remember, not a, not a city of bricks and mortar, but the people who live in Capernaum. And he said, you have been exalted 
to heaven. What is it to be exalted to heaven? What that means, what that language means is that under spiritual privileges, people are made acquainted with heaven. They are lifted up toward heaven. They are shown how to get to heaven. They are being informed that heaven has been opened up by the blood of Jesus Christ. And they may enter in if they will believe or they will repent of their sin. That's what it is to be exalted to heaven. And these people in Capernaum who had sat at the feet of Jesus and heard Him preach have been exalted to heaven. Let me tell you, my friend, Christ is here tonight again through the Word of God and by His Holy Spirit. And He's addressing you, a privileged sinner. He's exalting you to heaven. He's showing you the way of life. He's giving you an understanding and a knowledge once again of what it is to go to heaven, how to get there by the finished work of Christ through the blood of the Lamb. That's being exalted to heaven. But listen to what he says. If you don't repent, you will be thrust down to hell. Exalted to heaven and from heaven men go to hell. I mean from the knowledge of heaven, the awareness of what heaven is, how to get there. And they despise it, and they refuse it, and they live their own way, and they perish in their sin. And from there, they tumble into the caverns of the damned and the depths of hell, and they are lost forevermore. And therefore, we learn from the Word of God that the Lord does expect responses, repentance, faith, turning from sin in the lives of those who are exposed to the gospel. There's expectation. But then you say there's provocation brought out in this little parable. Turning back here to Luke chapter 13, if you think about it carefully, you will see that year by year this man came He scrutinized the fig tree and looked for fruit. And you will discover that he found none, as it says. The the fig tree had a unique feature to it. Its fruit came first, and then its leaves. And because the man comes to this fig tree, if you look at verse number 6, I firmly believe that the language indicates that he's there looking for fruit. It says in verse 6, he sought fruit thereon and found none. Now, why is he looking for the fruit? Because this fig tree, though it doesn't actually say it, must be covered with leaves. Remember what I said. On the fig tree, the leaves came first. And then the fruit. That's unusual. That's unique. And it teaches a very, very striking lesson. And that lesson is that there are many, not only who are exposed to gospel privileges and who have many benefits heaped upon them, being uh, in the circles of the visible church and knowing the truth and so on, 
But there are people in that category who go even farther than that. And it is that they profess to be something that they're not actually. They put on all the leaves and they give the impression thereby that there's fruit in their hearts and there's fruit in their souls and they're repenting of sin and they become Christians and they're now right with God, but it's not true. Because when the Lord comes looking for fruit, He doesn't find any. Just as this man came to that fig tree and he was looking for fruit and there was no fruit. In Mark 11, I referred to it already, you have another instance of a fig tree in view in what happens when the Lord comes to Jerusalem and He sees a fig tree growing by the wayside and He goes to that fig tree and He looks for fruit as Mark eleven thirteen tells you. But here is what you find in that verse. He found nothing but leaves. Now, I just want to take those words. He found nothing but leaves. No fruit. No evidence of fruit at all. And in that instance, that real fig tree was cursed by Jesus Christ. It withered up in a moment. And all of that was designed to show and to teach that Israel, with all its profession, all its claims, all its outward show, was without the evidence that is demonstrated by spiritual fruit. The fruits of repentance and faith and godliness and a desire for holiness and a willingness, as I said at the outset, a willingness to do the will of God and a surrender to the Lord. There was none of that. It was completely missing. He found nothing but leaves the outward show, the profession, and there was nothing more than that. And I tell you, my dear friend, this is a very outstanding feature of the teaching of the New Testament, and especially in the Gospels, in the ministry of our Lord, and the ministry of other men like John the Baptist. They continually focus on this. Professors of religion, professors of knowing God, professors of followers of being followers of Jesus Christ, they make all these claims. They make all of this profession but there is nothing to it. And this parable is designed to show that that provokes Almighty God to bring down upon those professors of religion His terrible wrath. Notice what comes here in verse 7. Then said he unto the dresser of his vineyard, Behold, these three years I come seeking fruit on this fig tree and find none. Cut it down. Cut it down. Why cumbereth it the ground? Another year, you see, has arrived. Another year has come. And it's the same pattern. It's the same outcome. He comes looking for fruit. There's none on it. And the owner of the vineyard is provoked. He says, cut it down. A fruitless tree. The owner is irritated. 
This is what he suggests. The most appropriate course of action. Cut the tree down. Get rid of it. And all of that is a reminder of how the Lord is provoked and the Lord is angered by the failure of sinners to repent and believe the gospel. And I want you to get a hold of that, my friend. Whoever you are, whatever age you are, whatever knowledge you might have, you are provoking God to His face. As you sit through gospel meetings and church gatherings and all that takes place in the life and witness of a visible congregation and you come and you go and people might even think, oh, there's a man, there's a woman, there's a young person who must be a child of God. Look at how often that person is present. Look at the interest that that individual shows or seems to. You stand up, you sing the hymns, you sit down, you read the Bible, you listen to be very intently to the preaching of the Word, and people think this is a child of God. But you see, when the Lord comes to search your life, there's no fruit. Your heart is hard. It's just a show. It's just a put-on. You're acting a part. And therefore, as the old hymn says, I have long withstood His grace, long provoked Him to His face. That's what you're doing, sinner. And therefore, you are on dangerous ground because like this barren fig tree, you leave yourself fit only to be destroyed, to be damned, to be cut down, to lose your soul. You've wasted time. You've wasted privileges. You have not obeyed the truth. You have never come to Christ to bow before Him and cry, Lord, wash me in Thy blood. Cleanse me from my sin. I'm not fit to meet God. I'm not acceptable to the Almighty. I'm yet in my sin, therefore, Lord, have mercy on me. Have you ever cried to God that way? Have you ever thought about that, that this is the prayer you need to pray? You might get down on your knees and pray and thank God for your food or something like that, and there's nothing wrong with that in its own place. But my friend, have you ever prayed the sinner's prayer? And have you begun to turn away from sin and get right with God? Or is it true tonight that your heart is very much in the grip of the world, and your soul is hard and careless and callous and indifferent, and behind the leaves, behind the profession, you're hiding. You want to give a good impression. You want to put on a good show, as I've been saying here, but there's no reality. There's no truth. There's nothing here that is real at all. Therefore, sinner, you are fit only for damnation. You will be cut down. You will perish as you 
before the God with His expectation of you repenting and turning to Him are in reality provoking Him to His very face. The final thought here is that of limitation. He says, let it alone this year also. Uh, as you look there at what is said in these verses. Verse number 8, Lord, let it alone this year also, till I shall dig about it and dung it, and if it bear fruit, well, if it not, then after that thou shalt cut it down. A plea goes up that the tree might be spared. But here's what I want you to see. It is only for a limited time. And then the end will come. So there is a thought of limitation in these words. Let me say to you tonight who are not saved, those who are praying for you, because there are people praying for you, sinner, man or woman, young girl, young fellow, whoever, there are people praying for you. But even as they pray, they know there's a limitation here. This man knows this. He says, just to get those words again, he says in verse 9 or verse 8, let it alone this year. And so what he's saying is he knows that the day of mercy for that tree is limited. A limited time. And the people of God know that. The people of God who have spoken to you. The people of God who pray for you. They do so with the knowledge that the time for repentance is limited. That the opportunity to be saved is short, really. That's always in their minds. And that's why they shed tears for you, my friend. That's why they agonize in their souls for you. That's why your parents are heartbroken over you because they know that it's a limited space that you have and know you are wasting that. And it's running out. And therefore there is limitation here. And you see what really grieves God's people most is that you don't seem to recognize the danger that you're in. You don't. You don't seem to have any awareness. There's no concern. You go through life as if ever, as if it were ever, never going to end. As I said, they shed tears for you, but you never shed a tear for yourself. Your life hangs by a brittle thread. This year could be your last. I have to put it that way because I don't know. But it could be this year also. Is it going to be like all the others? Are you going to live through it the way you've lived through 2022 and 2021? And you keep on going backwards? Are you going to live the same way this year? My friend, it seems to me that you don't realize, you don't recognize the danger that your life is actually in, that your soul 
is actually in. This year could be your last, and you're not ready for the rising of the curtain of time to usher you into God's great eternity. Time and opportunity are fleeing away, and you're still lost, and you're still impenitent, and you're still heedless, and you're still unconcerned. And in your heart, there's a tug of war going on because you know what's right and you know what you should do. And the world is pulling the other way. And the world is telling you, don't be silly. You have plenty of time. And the devil's adding to it because he's the deceiver. And he's bringing in his lies and you're ensnared, and you're listening to lies and deceit, and you're endangering your soul even more as the days slip by, and yet you have no idea that this could be your final year. You'll never see 2024 if the Lord tarries, or as the Lord tarries. There's a limitation to it all. You will not be here forever. You'll come to a time when you'll never hear another gospel message. A time will arrive when Christians will stop praying for you because you'll have died and you're gone and their hearts are broken because you've died and you've left no testimony. But they realize they can't pray for him or her anymore. The Bible tells us not to do so. Death is final. Death is final. And you're beyond hope. The Bible says it is time to seek the Lord. And therefore, I must bring that to you and urge you in my closing remarks tonight to seek the Lord, to come to Christ, turn from your sin, seek Him with all your heart in the way that He has revealed through faith in Christ, faith in the atonement, and in repentance from your sin, and He will save you. I urge you to take that step tonight. You might think, when well, you know, the Lord's Supper's on. I've got an excuse to slip out the door. My friend, Mr. Stewart is conducting the Lord's table. And I challenge you now, you meet me in that minister's room when this meeting ends. And you can meet with me there and sit down and let us talk about this. Don't slip out. Making the Lord's Supper an excuse to get away again. What a sin that is. But rather, humble yourself 
and come and seek out the Lord and find Him as your Savior. Let us bow together before the Lord. Let's unite our hearts in prayer. And may God in His mercy come. We will be at the door for those who are leaving, who may have children to get home, etc. You come to the door where we will be, and you speak and say, look, tonight is the time when I need to get right with God. Young man, young woman, older person, it will be our joy to help, to counsel you. Father in heaven, use thy word. Apply it with power. O oh God, take it and use it. And O oh Lord, that this night there will be a passing from death unto life and from the power of Satan unto God on the part of those who are yet without the Savior. Hear as we pray. And in these closing moments, let the solemnity of eternity descend and draw souls to the man of Calvary. We pray this in his name and for his sake. Amen.